Welcome to The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. Whatever activity you're doing, whether it's yoga or running or climbing or hiking or lifting, you want to be better at it, right? Maybe not. Maybe it would be better if you got bad at a lot of things. Well, we're going to be looking at that and much, much more on today's episode of the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, typically starting with the feet first because those things are your foundation. We're going to be debunking the mythology, the propaganda, sometimes the outright lies that people have told you about what it takes to run, to walk, to hike, to dance, to lift, to do all those things you like to do and do that enjoyably, efficiently, and effectively by using your body naturally. We call this the movement movement because it's a movement about movement, more specifically about natural movement, again, about letting your body do what it's supposed to do. And it's a movement because it involves you. It's something that doesn't happen because I'm saying it or because I'm trying to push it. It's all the people who discover the value and benefits of natural movement who are making this happen, creating this groundswell, this grassroots movement of trying to get people to move. I think I've said that more than enough times. If you want to be part of this, it's really easy. Go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. That's where you'll find previous episodes. You'll find all the different ways you can engage with us. You can find us, of course, where all you, you always find podcasts. And of course, do me a favor and spread the word. Like and share and review and you know give a thumbs up where that's appropriate and subscribe where that's appropriate and hit the bell on YouTube. Basically, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe in all the ways that you can do that. All right, so that's the intro. And now I want to introduce Mike Fitch, who is here. And Mike, I don't like to tell to do intros for people, so you get to tell people who the hell you are and why the hell you're here. Okay. Uh, hey, I'm Mike Fitch. <laughs> All right, we're done. You may yeah. remember me from certain <laughs> movies as. Hey, Stephen. Good to see you, man. Thanks. And by so, the way, before you even start about who you are, just to let people know about the timing of things, um, right before we started, I got on and I said to Mike, hey, how was your weekend? Thinking that it was Monday. By the way, it is not Monday. Today is Thursday. So, and which is even weird that I said, how's your weekend? Because every day to me feels like a Saturday that I have to work. I don't know about you. Yeah. And this is not the first time that we've tried this. Well, there's, there is that. We tried this last week and then after, suddenly we realized that uh, Zoom had crashed and uh, in some way and nothing was getting recorded. So we are, this is, this is our second time doing this, but like our fourth time trying to do this. I think even more. I mean, we've had so many hiccups along the way, just with either scheduling or the first time that we were supposed to actually do this, you had the Wi-Fi issue. So right. the lines were down, they're trying to fix something. And so we had to reschedule and then our reschedule, Zoom crashed. And then funny story, this morning, my Wi-Fi wasn't working. Oh man. It wasn't working until about an hour ago. And so oh, I thought I was going to have wow. to call you and say, we've got to do it again. I've got to reschedule again. <laughs> I had a situation like this with somebody else where, you know, it was like fifth times a charm. And they said, well, I'm taking this as a sign that we shouldn't do it. I said, that's cool. But just remember, you're the one who painted the sign. (laughs) You know, what's funny. This morning, I was thinking if I said that to you, you're going to have some comeback. I would not be able, I would not be able to think of something past it. So um, I'm glad that I wasn't the one that said that. And that someone else had previously said that to you. So you could work that out. Or if I was going to do it more, this would be, you are the sign maker. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, look, everything's a sign if you want to really go that way. Yeah, for sure. But anyways, I'm Mike Fitch. (laughs) I I created some program called Animal Flow. 
another program called the Bodyweight Athlete. Yeah, I get I get to to teach people how to how to get on the floor and move around. It's so the best job ever. Before we jump into animal flow specific things, because this is the movement movement podcast. Whenever I have someone on who is hip to movement and does movement things, I ask them this question. What movement-y something can you share with our humans who are our audience? I'm assuming they're humans. There may be others listening, but at least with the humans, that would give them a taste of you know something to do and also maybe a little flavor of what you do with Animal Flow. Yeah, for sure. You know, everyone's got time at home right now. And so while they're at home, I would like them to do two things. And it's only going to take two minutes, although... Watch Tiger King. Oh, sorry, different. Watch it as many times as possible. <laughs> but other than that. Then watch like the reunion show or whatever they've been doing since I the original release. We, have, we haven't watched that one yet. Last night, we watched Three Identical Strangers, which is a whole other completely unrelated thing. And it's only an hour and a half. But anyway, that's, those are my two. So while you're watching Tiger King or Three, Three Identical Strangers, yeah. while you're watching those high quality TV programs, set a timer for one minute. This is your goal. For one minute. Start standing, try to get up and down from the floor as many different ways as possible for one minute. Once the ringer goes off or the buzzer goes off, get on the floor and just crawl around. So it doesn't matter how you do it. We're not talking about form technique. Just crawl around in as many directions as you can. Try to do it for one minute. You can take rest if you can't do it for one minute because it can add up pretty quickly. And then you can just repeat that as many times as possible, especially if you've been sitting down watching Tiger King for hours or however long that show is, get on the floor. So get up and down for one minute, then crawl around for one minute and then do that as many times as you can. There's a old song from like the mid seventies and it just popped into my head and the refrain is something like open the door, get on the floor. Everybody do the dinosaur. So open the floor, open the door, get off on the floor, get off the floor. So let's talk about what you said. I just want to break it down a little bit. I mean, as simple as that sounds, it's get up and down in as many different ways as possible. I Mm. love this. I have a fondness for doing things different ways. I cross my arms in both ways. Can you do that? Uh, I could try. Hey, there you go. There we go. Oh, there it is. Now repeat. Good. I think I hurt myself. I I go through phases where I put on my pants with the other leg first. Easier to do with pants than underpants, by the way. Mm. Uh, I have gotten in the habit of putting on jackets the opposite way that I started doing it. So talk to me about this whole idea of as many ways as possible. And uh, you may, you may want to you know, give someone a pointer or two. Because I know like with like the whole idea of barefoot running or natural running, there's some cues that you can give people that just accelerate mm. the process of their creativity opening up. It's like if you tell them, you know, try and do X, Y, and Z, they would have discovered that on their own eventually, but by shortcutting the process, it kind of opens up more ideas. Yeah. So the whole concept behind that little drill is variety and variability. And so essentially what we're trying to get people to do is break their traditional patterns. And so, you know, as human beings, we have a tendency to do, going back to what your, your examples you were giving. We take the path of least resistance because it's more efficient for our system. So, you know, if we learn to do something a particular way, we tend to have, we tend to lean into doing that same thing the same way every single time. And especially when we're kind of walking around, we're sitting down, we're, you know, we're, we're going throughout our day, our variability in our overall motion. So if we look at our spectrum of available motion, and then we look at the amount of motion that we're actually getting in, it's usually just a slice. And so the whole concept is by us getting up and down in as many different ways as possible, we're adding variety into that pattern of how we would typically get up and down. 
and variety our body thrives on. And so we want to make these really resilient bodies. And that means not only in how we experience them, but also how the tissue adapt. You know, we could go down that road, but we're not going to yet. So we'll just say, you know, the more that we can experience different loads, and when I say loads, that just basically means how gravity is affecting our system and as many different angles as possible, then now we're starting to encourage an adaptation process, which is, again, being forced on by all these different angles versus us just always moving in the same plane. So that's the concept of getting up and down. And then a tip that you could add on top of that is exactly what you said, which is if you have a tendency to always go down to a right kneeling position when you try to make your way into the floor, then try doing it from the opposite side. So start trying to identify maybe some of those patterns that you would typically lean on because they feel stronger or more coordinated. And the other thing is, you know, just allowing yourself to feel kind of goofy and to not feel coordinated Mm -hmm. and to be exposed a little bit. Be bad bad at just getting up and down. That's it, man. Be bad at it. You know, because again, that's, that's where the learning process takes place. And our bodies are adaptation machines. They love new challenges. They want to figure out how to be more efficient at new challenges, i.e. lazy at new challenges. Right. So the more that we can go out and experience new stimulus, the better our body will hopefully adapt to these new challenges. I think there's probably a line between the interest in variety and something novel and the existing neural pathways that have us wanting to do the exact same thing over and over. Because mm-hmm. I know that when you're trying to learn something like a really new movement pattern, something significantly different, especially I'm using barefoot running as, as an example, many people say, oh, I tried it, you know, it was really frustrating. It's like, oh, no, no, let's reframe what that means. Frustrating, with air quotes around it, is your experience of trying to lay down new neural pathways, getting out of a groove and laying down new neural pathways. And like you said about, you know, being bad is how, you, I don't remember how you said about learning. But what people forget is that the learning happens after a bout of discomfort and, you know, feeling awkward and all the rest. And then while you're resting, you're getting these new neural pathways that make it a little easier the next time and a little easier and a little easier, a little easier. If people would reframe that frustration as learning, it would be a Mm -hmm. whole different thing. You know, and that's the way our body adapts, right? So if the, if the stressor, our body adapts to stress and load all the time. Right. And so it it does it in a way by either becoming stronger, having a better cardiovascular system, becoming more resilient, becoming more efficient, but we have to give that stressor first. Right. And the thing is, if it's not enough, then our body is not stimulated to adapt. Right. If it's too much, then we may break down or we may not be able to adapt to such a high stimulus. And so it has to be in that kind of sweet spot. And it's not going to be comfortable. You're not going to feel good when you're doing it because it's way outside of your comfort zone. And I think most people have a tendency to, again, go towards the things that make them feel successful, feel comfortable, feel good. Yeah. Successful. Or they expect the discomfort. And so like, you know, if I, if I go into workout, I know that hopefully if I do my workout the best of my ability, it's not going to feel awesome the entire time. I'm going to be in points or phases of discomfort. And that's part of the growth process. There's also, again, that balance between the discomfort part and the enjoyable, fun, opening up thing that makes you want to do it again. Because obviously yeah. if it's just painful, you're not going to want to do it. But there's definitely moments of, I mean, the intermittent reinforcement part of, hey, it's good. And hey, there's something that's a little tricky. That's kind of the holy grail because we mm-hmm. respond to intermittent reinforcement. I mean, that's how Vegas works. It's like every now and then it works. <laughs> Actually, my real joke, that's how child rearing works. You know, it's 23 hours a day of pulling your hair out and, you know, in 60 minutes of heart opening. Hey, that's wonderful. And that's why we don't eat them. So you reminded me of something that I remember seeing in high school. 
on TV. It was like a PBS during one of the PBS fundraising things where they have someone who's teaching something and then selling a course. I don't remember who it was, what he was teaching or what he was selling. But his line was, he asked the audience, what's the fundamental purpose of thinking? And everyone came up with all these answers. I don't know what they were. He goes, the fundamental purpose of thinking is to learn how to stop thinking. And people are like, what? He goes, thinking is the process of taking incoming information and developing a pattern, a heuristic, so that when you see something similar to that, again, you don't need to figure it out. It just kind of goes right in and you crock it immediately. The problem is we're really good at coming up with these patterns. We're the sign painters. We paint signs where they don't necessarily exist. And we come up with these patterns that aren't necessarily effective or efficient because it's just, that's the fastest, the most efficient thing is to come up with a pattern that doesn't, having the right pattern is not necessarily the most efficient thing. And I have a sneaking suspicion that leads into what you do with animal flow. Am I correct? Of course. Ah, Success. (laughs) So, so talk about what animal flow is and how you got to it slash developed it. Okay. Yeah. And just, just to be clear for anyone that's listening, when I said discomfort earlier, I didn't mean pain. So I just want to make that clear distinction between the two. So discomfort, I just meant the sensation of this is not always going to feel awesome. It's awkward. And so it's awkward. awkward. It might be a little bit awkward. So anyways, but pardon me, you know, just, just the thing of like cross your arms and then switch arms on top and then switch the other side. That's going to feel awkward. It's not unpleasant. It's not painful but it's definitely going to make your brain fritz a little bit or putting mm-hmm. on, you know, if you put your jacket on right arm first, then left arm behind you, then switching around, it's going to feel weird as crap for a while. Yeah. And I think fritz is a really nice word. We'll just go with that one. So let's say like make your brain fritz as much as possible <laughs> all the time, because that's where the magic is. Some people, the argue, fritz itself. some people would argue that my fondness for brain fritzing is why my hair looks like this. It's just an I expression right. of my brain. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I think we might be onto it. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. back I need to your more fritzing then. <laughs> Fritz Clearly, I have no fritzing. There's fritzing and frizzing. Those are two. They're very related. Ah. One was a cat, and one is what soda does. That's an hmm. obscure set of references. For, well, fizzy soda is easy. Fritz the cat. A lot of people don't know Fritz the cat. Are you too young to not know Fritz the cat? No, I do know Fritz the cat. I was just trying to remember where Fritz the cat is from. It used to be, was that a comic strip? Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. Back to animal so flow. So animal flow. Okay. So, so let me tell you how I got into animal flow. You know, what my journey was to, to get to animal flow, I should say. I began as a personal trainer in New York City when I was 19 years old. And, you know, I, I did everything. I really, I would like get into something and really go all the way into it. So over the years that I was training, this is from the time I was 19 until I, I turned 30, I, I ran the gamut. And at that point it was, you know, getting into Olympic lifting, getting into kettlebell training, getting into sports-specific training, became a medical exercise specialist. So I worked with physios and physical therapists for pre- and post-rehabilitation. And then I eventually found myself where I think most guys do who are kind of in that world of personal training. I just wanted to get jacked and I wanted to lift really heavy things. And I was about, I don't know, maybe 30 pounds heavier than I am now, maybe 40 pounds. And Holy smokes. I felt awful all the time. And I want to say, I want to make this very clear. I'm not saying that being big and strong is bad at all. I'm just saying that there's some message intuitively in my system that kept speaking louder and louder, which was, you are only honoring one of your abilities, and that's to be strong and to grow muscle, right? And and so I had just turned 30 years old, and I said, you know what? I'm going to listen to that message, and I'm just going to see where this takes me. So I decided to do the exact opposite of what I was doing. 
and decided to go be really bad at a lot of things. So I, I decided to put down the weights 100% and just explore body weight movement disciplines. And so, so give me an example I, of what once you made once you decided to do that. Give me an example of something that you were really bad at. Well, all of them, <laughs> all of them. But I started with gymnastics, which was I was not only the oldest person in the class, but I was by far the worst person in the class. I thought, well, man, if I'm this bad at this, maybe I can be bad at other things. So I went and I started breakdancing, super bad at that. Started parkour. I was bad at that. I got much better quickly. But anyways, I mean, I was experiencing all these different things and I was being very consistent with it and realizing, wow, there's so much here that my clients could certainly benefit from, but they're never going to go join an adult gymnastics class or, or join right. a breakdancing class. So what can I do to help bring some of these inspirations in? And so, you know, like with parkour, that was the first time I was introduced to animal locomotion as a way of warming up the system and preparing the body to move. And then with breakdancing, I, I figured out what we call, or I experienced what we call movement windows. So if my arm is here, my leg is here, that's an opportunity for me to move through that window that I've created. And so, you know, there's just a lot of inspiration that I thought, okay, well, how do I put this together in a way that my clients could enjoy it or could benefit from it? And so I just started spending hours and hours and hours a day on the ground, figuring out the puzzle of how can I take these inspirations and these things that have been so pivotal in my growth at that time. And so I just started creating a program and started creating a program around it that had a language that, that we used that had, you know, all these rules and, and different technique cues. And it was just such an interesting thing. It took me about three months to put the outline of the program together. And then I just started using it with my clients. And so I started, you know, integrating it into their one-on-one -on -one sessions. And then I also started offering classes for the other clients in the gym and people really enjoyed it. And I was like, wow, there's, there's something here. And so then eventually created a certification around it, put a DVD out first, the response was really good. And so then I was like, wow, you know, I'll see how far I can go with this. And so created a certification around it and then spent years training other people to teach it. And we now have about, about 10,000 instructors globally. Holy smokes. That's yeah. awesome. I want to come back to that because the whole idea of creating, I mean, look, we're talking about creating a movement that what you just described is creating a movement. I want to hear more about the management of that or sort of the evolution of that. Cause that's the kind of thing that most people will never do. Um, and some people want to do and don't know how to do, but either for both of those, it's going to be kind of interesting, but I want to come back to just what animal flow is and what people experience from it, why they come to it, what they get mm -hmm. from that. So, you know, let's jump in. I mean, it's not just trying to move like a donkey, whatever that would mean. Uh, although that's, uh, I can't even, what if, if you just say to someone, I do this thing called animal flow, what do they think that you do? Well, you tell me and then I'll tell you my guess. Sometimes we get, so is that goat yoga? <laughs> I was going way past that. I was going for, are you an animal urologist? Oh, no, I haven't gotten that yet. So you well done. That's the first you time. You help ferrets with kidney problems. Mm -hmm. Next but goat, life. But, but goat yoga. Uh, that's good. So, and what do you say? What do you say? I mean, if someone <laughs> asked me that, I would have to riff on that and, and just pretend that the answer is yes. Well, here's something funny. We, <laughs> so I taught a workshop. The first certification that I taught here in Boulder, I taught at Colorado Athletic Club and it happened to be the same weekend they were doing a special event that had a goat yoga session in it. 
So imagine how confused the front desk must have been that day. That's brilliant. <laughs> the fact yeah. that there is a thing called goat yoga is more says more than the fact of goat yoga. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just one day, someone thought it was it happened, and then it became an actual thing. That's yeah. the part that's crazy. Yeah. So, anyways, so typically, if someone asks me, you know, what is animal flow? I'll say, all right, well, if you were to see someone practicing it, it would look like yoga meets breakdancing meets modern dance or gymnastics. Because again, you know, people can associate very easily. And so at least if you give them something visual, they can start to put together a concept of what this may look like. Mm. And then that way, whenever they see someone on the ground doing it, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can, I can conceptualize that. But I also then go on usually to tell them, you know, there is some animal components to it. So there are some animal locomotive patterns that we use, but it's not about finding your spirit animal. It's not about acting like a donkey for an hour or roaring like a lion. It's really about the human animal. So it's really about improving the communication, connection, and function of the human animal. And one of the best ways that we found to do that, at least in animal flow, is by putting both hands and feet in contact with the ground. Hmm. And then having the participant figure out this movement puzzle of these animal flow moves. And so that's one of the, the main underlying concepts is, is get people back inside of their bodies because, you know, with all the stimulus that we have externally now, especially with, you know, tablets, phones, stress at work, you know, the COVID, everything that's going on, it's very easy for people to be thinking of everything else except for managing their own system. And so, right. you know, most often people will go into the gym and then they think about moving objects from point A to point B, or I'm going to run from here to here. And so they're still putting their, their focus outside of their system. But mm. when you put someone on the floor, hands and feet in contact with the ground, and you ask them to move all of their limbs kind of in different directions and in different ways, then now it's very tough for them to be thinking about the stress at work or, or you know, what they're going to do when they get home because they have to be where we're gently forcing them inside of their body and making them accountable for how they move their vessel and navigate it across the floor. It reminds me actually when we were, when you're talking about the movement suggestion you gave people at the beginning, thinking about me after getting up and down a bunch of times crawling, the first thought I have, whenever I'm in some sort of group and there's some instruction for doing something, where my brain goes is, okay, how are most people going to do this and what's the opposite of that? So what immediately occurred to me is if I were crawling, which I can't do right now, the first thing I would do for an unusual way of crawling is try to crawl along a wall. Mm-hmm. So yep. I try and get vertical instead of just being hard. I, I'd, I'd start thinking about the, the vertical component and not just the horizontal component. And so, yeah. and there's a lot of that in parkour training, you know, and, and there's a lot of, you know, again, crawling up and then crawling across railing or, mm. you know, a thinner wall or what it might be, whatever it might be. So, um, so yeah, so there, again, the, the inspiration certainly came from parkour definitely, but to go back to those, underlying concepts. The first one is reconnecting the system. The second one is filling in the deficits. And so if we look at this kind of spectrum or line of physical attributes or abilities, you know, if you have, let's say a CrossFit athlete and he's, you know, he or she is usually expressing their abilities to be, you know, strong, powerful, to have good endurance in the way that they train. If you look at a yoga practitioner, they're kind of on this other side of the spectrum where they're more working on their mobility, flexibility, stability. And so we like to use animal flow as a bridge between those two sides of the spectrum because mm -hmm. we believe that you can elicit all of those responses for our physical attributes 
by using this modality. And so if you have someone who's a CrossFit athlete, this will really allow them to use a dynamic approach to mobility, flexibility, stability. If you have someone who's already expressing those, this is a nice bridge into more strength, power, endurance, speed. And so it kind of fills in the void. It fills in the deficits. And if you have someone who's not doing any workouts or hobbies, it's a nice introduction to exercising those attributes or those abilities. I'm I'm reminded of a friend of mine who is one of the smartest people that I know. And he was dating someone who kept complaining that he was just in his head. And on the one hand, I said to him, yeah, that's what you do. Shut up and leave her. On the other hand, (laughs) if she's telling you that you're wrong for being exactly what you're amazing at, you know, that's a problem. But at the same time, he got, you know, was really curious about finding movement things that were different than what he had done. He was a really accomplished long distance runner, but he felt like that was very linear, literally, and not really getting his whole body doing what he was, what he wanted to do. It's an interesting point. He was trying to find that bridge between his sort of intellectual strength, if you will, and his body flexibility, mobility, et cetera. And I don't know what he's doing now. I got to double check. But that's another sort of another version of things I imagine for people who, who just aren't familiar with what that thing is below their neck that this might give them a way in. Is he still with the girl? No, no, no. Happily, that ended and he found someone who loved him for being, you know, super, super brainy. Ah, perfect. Yeah, it was great. So yes, so to go with that, it invites people, again, back into their body and then lets them experience their body in all these different ways. And so it really encourages them to, to be strong, to be stable, to ha- have mobility, to you know, express their ability to, to be powerful and, and have good endurance, et cetera. And of course, coordination. So one thing I'm just going to prompt you for it because I've remembered it from the first time that we tried this, which was really the fourth time that we tried this conversation. Talk to me about, so wait, it, was, it, was it ABCs or AB, what was the? Yes. Hold on. So the ABCs of animal locomotion. The ABCs of animal locomotion. That just sounds like a good kid's book other than, you know, except that it would involve a train that was, that somehow transformed into a gorilla. I think we're onto something here. Well, that's, that's ABCs of uh, animal locomotives. I was confused. Yeah. So with the, the ABCs, and again, the traveling forms, we call them traveling forms. They're just a, one component of the overall program, but we do call them the ABCs of traveling forms. And so A stands for ape. If you were to think about what that looks like, it just begins in like a deep squat. So if you were to see someone, deepest squat they can go, that's our beginning position for our ape travels. Our beast is kind of like a, like almost like a baby crawl. So it would be, mm. look, it would look similar to a baby crawl, except for the knees would be about an inch off the ground and the toes would be tucked under versus tops of the feet on the ground. And then also we have our C, which is our crab position. So crab would essentially, and most people would have done crab maybe in gym class when they were younger, but essentially if we were to look at the side of a crab, it would be, it would look kind of like a capital letter M, except the outside lines are slightly angled. And butt would be off the ground, fingers pointing behind us. And so those three movements are the, what we call base positions in animal flow. Do you do anything upside down? As far as inversions go or hanging? inversions. I'm thinking as a former all-American gymnast, one of the things that pops into my head on a not infrequent basis is, man, I got to be upside down. And I don't hear people doing that very often. And unless you're familiar with that experience, it wouldn't cross your mind for most people. Is that something that comes into animal flow in some way? So hand balancing is a big part in animal flow. It does play a big part in animal flow. So we do a lot of inversions and uh, we typically will. So in gymnastics, you would typically do, you know, hollow body handstands. So vertical handstands in animal flow, we typically use what we 
what would be considered tuck balances. So basically, you know, the knees are pulled towards the chest and that allows us to transition through the balance a lot easier versus going all the way up into a vertical handstand and then coming down. Right. But we do. So uh, even the beginning levels or even, you know, as someone's be beginning their animal flow journey, we use variations of tuck balances to just get them comfortable with being inverted. So mm -hmm. it doesn't mean they're trying to hit, hit the tuck balance like right away, but we're just getting them comfortable with being upside down, which again is, is great for so many systems in their body. It always strikes me as a really interesting one that so few people have any experience being comfortable being upside down. Or when you look at people learning gymnastics, I don't know if this was your experience, when someone's learning to do like a standing backflip, the thing that they typically try to do is jump backwards instead of yes. really basically jumping up. Similarly, they do the exact opposite. If they're laying a front flip, they try to throw their body down instead of actually what you try to do, which is again, jump up. And all your, the only thing that's different between a front flip and a back flip is just which direction your hips are going because it's the hips that drive the flip, not the, everything else is basically vertical. But it's such an unusual thing. It, it's so counterintuitive. In people's head, if you want to do a back flip, you got to jump backwards, front flip, you got to initiate the movement by dropping down. And, you, and really, you want to do the exact opposite. So same thing with you know, getting comfortable being upside down. It's such a weird thing. Or the other thing I'm thinking about with early gymnastics training is doing the same motion in both directions, like a cartwheel where you put your right hand down. I just said, put your right hand down first and I have my left hand going down. <laughs> um, a cartwheel where you put your left hand down first then a cartwheel doing your right hand first. And one will feel you know, normal, I mean, awkward at first but the other will feel impossible at first. Mm -hmm. And getting used to just doing things bi-directionally is another total brain fritzer. Yeah. And, you know, our, our human balance system is pretty much made up of three subsystems. And so we have our vestibular system, which you can think about as like inner ear. You have your ocular system, and so vision. And then we have our proprioceptive system. So our body's sense and awareness of where we are in space in relation to other objects. And it's the combination of those three subsystems which give us overall global, and when I say global, I mean full body balance. And so by doing just what you're saying, again, like trying to go do a cartwheel with opposite arm or even just trying to do a cartwheel in the first place, <laughs> I've never done one before, yeah. it really does challenge those systems. And so, and again, it's just, if it's, a variation that you're not going to hurt yourself at. It's just enough stimulus to get a positive effect from. And hopefully you're starting to get some positive adaptation by doing things just outside of how you would typically do them. Challenging, again, just challenging those systems. Part of what you're saying, especially using, thinking about crawling and babies, it's fascinating that we've lost so many of those movement patterns that we do as babies and infants and toddlers. And sort of like, in a way, it seems like we think that we've evolved and gotten past those and we don't use those. I mean, I spent a lot of time sitting on the floor, just mostly like I'll come home from work, I'll make some dinner or Lena will have made some dinner, although I do it more often. And we will have dinner often in front of a television because we have little time to chill out. And so we want to get maximum chill. <laughs> and so sometimes <laughs> that involves eating in front of the TV. And I'll do that while sitting on the floor because I don't want to spill stuff on the couch even though it's microfiber, and we'd be totally fine. And if I spill on the carpet, way worse. But regardless, that's what I do. And I think about how I didn't, growing up, didn't, never saw anyone sitting on the floor for any extended period of time. I never saw anyone crawling to get somewhere just for the fun of it. And it's all these developmental moves that we've just, you know, we think is below us or beneath us, and they're really fun. Yeah, and, you know, you hit the nail on the head by saying these 
patterns were so important to us in our developmental stages. And so, you know, whenever baby begins to learn how to roll over, press up, reptilian crawl, which is kind of like, you know, stomach crawling and then mammalian crawling, which is usually quadrupedal. So like, you know, knees and hands on the ground and then learning how to stand, holding something, get up and down, like all the squatting, all those things, they're, they're huge parts of baby's developmental processes. Right. Yeah. But not only physically, so not only, you know, creating these muscular synergies that will be so beneficial when they actually begin to be bipedal or upright human beings, but also there's a lot of stimulation that's happening in the brain as well. Just by doing these cross lateral patterns or stimulating and organizing neurons in the brain that will be important for cognitive processes, you know, like comprehension, memory, all these things, binocular vision, looking off, looking off into the distance and then back of the hands, strengthening communication between left and right hemisphere of the brain. Like there's a lot of stuff going on there. And like you said, as adults, we rarely return to some of these patterns that were so important to us in our developmental stages. And a couple of years back, we had a couple of guys who were animal flow fans, and they did a study where they took these participants through four weeks animal flow. And for for the study, they called it just quadrupedal movement. And they found that within four weeks, there were noticeable increases in markers of cognition. I was just going there joint repositioning sense. So yeah, so stimulating the brain, again, increasing cognitive markers, and then also the repositioning sense basically just means their awareness of where they were in space. That's so interesting. There are a couple of things that pop into my mind. Kirk Erickson at the University of Pittsburgh years ago, in fact, it was about 10 years ago when the study came out, he had done a long-term study of elderly people and walking and just found that the ones who walked the most retained the most gray matter in their brain and I asked him why he thought that was. And he said, I think a lot of it is just the stimulation from walking, both the movement and what you're seeing and how you have to navigate. I said, boy, imagine what it would have been like if they had been walking barefoot and got all that extra stimulation and had to really mm-hmm. respond. And he went, ooh, yeah, that's, that's good. But it was a nine-year study that cost a lot of money and we didn't oh, have wow. time for that. But the thing that I keep thinking of, especially when I think about people in shoes where they're making it so their feet can't feel the ground. They're not stimulating all those nerve endings in the soles of their feet. I think most people think of their brain as just this kind of passive thing that I don't know, I don't know what they think it actually does. But backing up to Kirk's study and the reason that aerobic exercise is so good is it's mostly about having your things circulating in your brain, using your brain in some way, creates increased blood flow, creates increased activity. And so and I just, as soon as you started talking about that, I was thinking there's got to be, it's not a, a, a God, how do I want to put this? When you don't stimulate your feet, your brain basically shuts down the part of it that is supposed to be getting that information because it's not getting the information. So it just does something else barely, if anything. When you're getting that stimulation, it's not just affecting that one part of your brain. It's affecting that part of your brain, which has a global impact. So feeling good is not just a thing that happens in a couple of neurons in your brain. It's an overarching neurotransmitter process. It's a neurochemical phenomenon that is instigated by doing things that your body and brain like that feel good. So you said it, I was just imagining that just getting an overall stimulus must have some cognitive impact. It must help in some way. I love that there was an actual study that looked into that. That's super cool. Yeah, same here. And you know, to go back to what you were saying about because we always practice animal flow barefoot. And you know, one of the reasons for that is 
because of that sensory afferent information, that sensory feedback. And we have so many sensory receptors in our feet, in our hands and in our feet. Unfortunately, we talked you know, earlier about the adaptation machine that is the body. Yeah. If we turn those receptors off by putting on these super padded shoes and walking around, we're essentially putting our feet in sensory deprivation chambers. And so that message is significantly turned down. The difference yeah, though is when you do get in, in like a, an isolation tank or sensory deprivation chamber, it's relaxing and you hallucinate. But when you do that to your, with your feet, not the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, not everyone relaxes in a deprivation chamber. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I certainly know a couple of friends who tried uh, float tanks and they freaked out. Oh, man. They were not into it at all. It, it increased their anxiety tenfold. Oh, man. It's one of my fantasies of having- I love them. I, yeah. My fantasy is to have a tank in the house. Or actually to have a tank just outside the house because otherwise the entire house smells like Epsom salts. But, yeah. uh, but oh, that's interesting. Anyway, but yes, you're, the point you were making before I interrupted with my sensory deprivation tank. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, you know, the same way that we can train our feet, the same way that we can train them to be more sensitive and to send yeah. more information, it's very easy for us to train them out of sending information. And I think, I think it's actually probably easier to do that. It's easier yeah. to, to Agreed. make yourself stupid than it is to make yourself smart. And the, well, the simple thing, it's, it's user to lose it. I mean, that's the that's bottom it. line. Yeah. That's the bottom line, right? And that's how the body works. Yeah. If we don't use it, I mean, and I mentioned, I kind of jokingly said that earlier, which is our body is lazy. And what I meant by that is not that we're, we are lazy or that you are lazy or anyone else is lazy, but our body is always thriving, striving to be more efficient at any given task. And so if you're not using a system, it can very easily start to, to turn down that system and or become more efficient at it. Same gonna, way you lose the ability to squat, right? Right. You know, I'm going to suggest that it, your body's actually not trying to get more efficient or the mo- do, find the most efficient way of doing something. I think it's probably trying to figure out what to do to get to the goal. And if it finds something, it will latch onto that even if it's not the most efficient because it accomplished the goal. This is the dopaminergic process or the dopamine system where it's about learning and accomplishing goals. People think that it's all about reward, but it's the reward for accomplishing something that you've learned to do. And so, because I'm just thinking of all these people who develop movement patterns. Actually, here's the exact thought that I had. It's someone who I know who thinks of himself as an accomplished barefoot runner because he's able to run half marathons and marathons barefoot. But you look at his running form and it's like Groucho Marx moving faster. It's not really running, but it's allowed him to accomplish the goal of being barefoot and covering this amount of distance. And he learned it. He figured it out on, on his own. He didn't, no one ever taught him how to move this way. It was just like, I'm trying to figure out a way to be able to move barefoot and cover distance and found this crazy way of like basically walking fast like Groucho. And so, and to get him to learn to run was a Herculean task because he had laid in not only the neural pathways of moving that way, but the idea that that was really good, that I had accomplished this, I had, I've succeeded. And so, and I imagine that when you're dealing with people in animal flow, part of what's happening is finding these patterns that they think may be effective or efficient. But when you look at them more carefully, turned out to have sort of detours in the road. When we're teaching the workshops or doing the certifications, we call those strategies. And so we'll mm-hmm. say, well, you know, when we're observing someone and so let's say we set someone up and we're, we're taking them through what we call our activation process. 
And we set up an activation in B store crab. So the B or the C of our ABCs. And while in that position, we start to look at them region by region. So maybe I'm just going to look at someone's shoulder blades and how they articulate with their upper spine or their, their thoracic spine. And so we're looking at, you know, one, can they even find their shoulder blades? Mm. Two, do they know when they're apart and do they know when they're together? And then start looking at, you know, what else is the body recruiting to try to make just that motion happen? And so you may see where someone does something really funny, like they start twitching their big toe when they try to do that, or they start, you know, uh, shifting towards one arm when they try to do that. And so, again, I can't say, oh, well, that's your body strategy of recruiting the right psoas and your left external oblique. All we're saying is, oh, that's interesting. Look at that. <laughs> Look at the strategy that the body just came up with to complete that motor task or that goal that I've given them. And so we're just, we're watching those strategies and seeing, okay, does that look like good fluid motion or does that look chunky? Does that look like mm. it's really hard for them to either access it or it looks very muscularly driven, you know, so it looks like they're putting a lot of effort into making that happen or does it just look effortless and fluid? And so those looking for those strategies is really fun, man, because body is so infinitely complex and cool and you know, just, just observing those, it's like, man, every, every body really does have a different body. And each body is a storybook of the experiences they've had through a lifetime. Can you think of one where you saw someone doing something and the thought that popped through your head was, wow, I would have never thought of that in a million years. Sometimes people do weird things with their, their tongue or their jaw or their <laughs> eyes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like what? Yeah, so like, like, so if you ask them, you know, you put them in a position, you ask them to lift, let's say their left foot in their right hand. And then you see them start to think really hard about it. And then they're trying to think, first of all, what's my left and my right? Yeah. And then during that process, you, you may see them start to anchor in somewhere. So maybe they start to move their jaw around or maybe they like put their tongue out of the side of their mouth or they close one eye and they keep one open. And then uh, you ask them to do something else and then that changes. So like their strategies change, their anchors change. Like it's just a cool thing to watch. That's really interesting. I imagine one of the things that's fascinating to me is watching as people in any sport in particular, as they get better at it, how the motions do become more efficient and how there aren't those extra things like what you do with your tongue or whatever. Basically, if you were playing poker, it's a tell. And one of the things that first clued me onto this was when I was doing gymnastics, our gymnastics coach's ex-wife married a guy who was a professional boxer. And he used to come in and he was a really cool guy. And he would do the thing. He'd say, you know, I'm going to put a nickel on your head and I want you to try and keep me from grabbing the nickel. You can keep your hand, start your hands like right up by your face. Just, I'm going to try and grab the nickel. You just try to stop me. And you couldn't. And what's interesting is he wasn't moving quickly. He was doing two things. He was moving super efficiently. There was nothing mm -hmm. extraneous. And he wasn't telegraphing the movement in advance. So there wasn't some subtle movement that you would pick up unconsciously that told you the big movement was about to happen. So because it only takes you know, a quarter of a second for him to reach out and come back, and it takes longer to process the visual information of the cue that he's about to do this move, those things didn't work together, and there was like no way you could block him. It was both frustrating as hell and fascinating. And I just love seeing as people get really, like, I don't play golf, but you can spot a good golf swing from a bad golf swing, not perfectly, but you, you, know, you can see when something looks just elegant, mm -hmm. even if you don't, if, you know, there may be something where it could be a little better or whatever. But I just love seeing that kind of, like you said before, where it just doesn't have any glitches. It's just like, man, just smooth. It's so wonderful to watch. 
So that reminds me of two people that I've worked with over the years. One of them is the strength coach for an NFL team. And I went in to work with some of his players. And the first thing he told me, he was like, look, these guys are elite athletes. They're the top in their field. They're in the NFL. And he goes, basically means they're really, really good at like three patterns. You know? And the, <laughs> right. the, the three things that they need to be in that position at their level. And everything else, he's like, they fall apart. Right. You know, and again, that's a big generalization, but it was just funny to hear someone say, like, you know, these guys are considered the best of the best. And yeah. they're it's because they're really good at like three things each. And of course, those things are going to be different. And the second person was uh, Dr. Spina, who has a system called functional range system. He's a buddy of mine. And he always says in his lectures, the better you get at sport, the worse you get at being human. <laughs> I totally get it. You know, it's like the first time I walked into a CrossFit box, they're trying to sell me on. It's like, this, you know, we're going to make you a better athlete. I said, yeah, I don't want to be a better athlete. They're like, what? I said, I'm a competitive sprinter. I want to get that much faster in a hundred meters. I want to take one step off of my hundred meters. That's all I want to do. But we're going to make you a better athlete. I went, don't care. All I'm trying to do is beat that guy who's next to me by that much. Yep. <laughs> and and I know that it's a weird, goofy thing, but it's like even when I'm working out for sprinting, there's a bunch of things that I probably could or should be doing to be a more well-rounded whatever. But at this time in my life, I don't care. I'm just trying to get it that little bit faster before I get old enough where it's just never coming back. <laughs> and so, Because that's what happens for sprinters. Like once you get past about 60 plus or minus, and I'm going to be 58 soon, it just starts falling off a cliff. The senior games, talking to a bunch of 60-year-olds, this is when I just turned 50. And they said, uh, yeah, it gets really bad once you get over 60. And at that point, a couple of 80-year-olds walk up and went, yeah, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> so so th th that story with the NFL guys, that raises the question that popped into my head. If people are runners or they are you know, engaged in some particular thing, what benefits have you seen animal flow delivering for them for the activities that they're trying to do other than just getting, becoming a better human being? you know, what are you seeing as the, what's the word I'm looking for, the translation or the transference of what they get from animal flow into other things? Yeah. So that kind of goes back to some of those concepts that I was talking about earlier, those two main concepts, which is one, making people more aware of how their body moves through space. Mm. And so just bringing more awareness into their system makes them more accountable, or we've seen anecdotally make them more accountable for how they move through the rest of their life. And so how they move mm. through their other sports, how they move through their other hobbies and, you know, how they move through their house as they're cleaning or, you know, taking care of their kids or whatever it might be. So it's, it's again, like bringing the awareness back into their system. There's a huge translation there. And then also filling in those gaps. So, you know, if you have someone who is a long distance runner, they're again, mostly linear in the way in which they run. And then also, so they're experiencing one plane of motion. And then also they're expressing their ability to have great endurance and that's, again, this little sliver of the spectrum that they're expressing. And so if we get them to express motion or experience motion in different planes of motion, so let's say not in just one direction, but all directions, and not at just the joints that they work during running in that direction, but also working those same joints in every direction. So now we're making not only their joints, but also their soft tissues more pliable, more resilient, have better communication with all of the other joints have better communication with the nervous system. And so that was kind of the concept behind cross training, which is, you know, a lot of kids, if you're in the, in the athletic training world, so let's say, you know, you're working for a high school team, you're working with a high school team, or you're working with a college team, 
that's the big thing as of recently, which is, you know, stay away from specialization. And so make the kids do everything. So right. it's not just when they're, when they're in season for football, they do football and then nothing else. It's right. you know, make them do all the things so that they can build these resilient bodies that don't break down so quickly from over repetition. Somebody remember seeing a, an infographic somewhere where it was showing Olympic athletes from like the 30s through the 60s and then beyond that. And in the early time of the Olympics, most of the athletes, they all looked about the same. You know, they were 5, 10-ish, 180-ish. They were well-rounded athletes of all sorts who just, you know, picked a thing that they specialized in for some reason, but they all looked kind of similar. And then specialization kicked in. And now you have four foot, two inch female gymnasts and seven foot, 10 inch, you know, basketball players, where if there was a meteor that hit the Olympic stadium, and then many thousands of years later, someone did an archaeological dig, they would assume it was a collection of different species. It was some sort of, you know, weird meat market, but it definitely was not a collection of human beings that all came out of the same universe. So I like that. That's a really interesting thing. I want to move on because we don't have a whole lot of time left. Yeah. And I talk about something that I'm just curious about. I'm always fascinated with businesses that I've never done that I can't even conceive what it would be like to do them. And the idea of creating a program where you then train trainers to propagate the program is one that I've thought about that's like fascinating and probably something I will never do. So talk to me about what that was like. And I mean, I'm just curious what you were, when you realized you wanted to do that, and I'm assuming you hadn't done it before, what happened in your brain? Like, what were you thinking? And then the technical part of doing it. Yeah. So once we had put out our instructional DVD and we got such a great response from it, I realized that if I want to reach more people, one of the best ways to reach more people is to reach the people who affect those people. Right. And so, you know, I kept thinking, all right, well, yes, we can continue to go kind of, and I hate to use this term, but direct to consumer. We can think about the people who are at home that might want to use this or the, what are they called? Not fit pros. Anyways, people who want to educate themselves on different training strategies, but they're not necessarily professionals. So that was one idea from the beginning. But then I realized, well, you know what? I'm having so much fun teaching this. The classes are going really well. I'm integrating into my personal training sessions and people are loving it. Why not go after the people that affect more people? And so we started really gearing towards personal trainers, physical therapists, chiropractors, body workers, anyone who is in the field of health and wellness. When we first put up the workshop, I think I had one person at the first workshop. <laughs> nice. And then after that, it just continued to build and build. And then, you know, we'd, we'd have people that would actually fly in to take the workshop, which was super weird for me at the time. And then I think we did. Oh, wait, I want, to, I want to, wait, I want to pause there. When you have the idea, okay, I'm going to build this out. And then one person shows up. I'm imagining it's kind of like, okay, all right. Uh, that's not what I was hoping for. And then at the flip side, when people start flying in, it's like, okay, now I feel a certain sense of responsibility that I didn't know I was going to feel. I mean, that's what I'm imagining. Was it anything like that? Well, I can tell you, I was stoked to have one person. <laughs> <laughs> You're, turn on I was like, yes, one person thought. came. Yeah. And at the time, you know, at the time we, we weren't spending anything. I mean, we were, you know, this was 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, as far as the digital age goes, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And so, you know, at the time there was only, there was basically YouTube and Facebook was kind of being used, but wasn't really super popular yet, at least in, in my experience. And so there wasn't Instagram. I don't even think Twitter had come out at that point. And so we were mostly working with YouTube. And so we were putting out these different videos and then put out the animal flow video. And so 
I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what is this digital space that we're starting to play in? And then looking at, wow, there's so many possibilities of reaching different people. And so uh, just to have one person was great. And then after that, you know, we, we started getting a little bit smarter with how we were marketing the workshops and the DVDs. And Karen was a big part of that, who you know. So Karen's my business partner. And Karen is crazy smart in all the things that I'm super stupid at. <laughs> so it makes a good team. Yeah. And I, I think everyone needs that person. Everyone oh. needs a Karen. Oh, if I weren't married to Lena, zero shoes wouldn't have happened. Because she is the operations finance trying to figure out everything that could possibly go wrong and let's make sure that doesn't happen person. And I'm the vision, product, creative marketing guy who's always trying to think of the million things that we could do next. So like my job is to build a car. Hers is to make sure there's gas and tires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same thing. Same exact thing. So if it weren't for her, I mean, I I certainly would not be where I am now with Animal Flow. That's that's for sure. But uh, And luckily, she has her doctorate in sociology. So she worked for a nonprofit in Miami for many, many years. But also she had a degree in film, which that was crucial for us at the time because we could shoot all of our own content. We could shoot our own videos. We could put out videos that, you know, we produced, we edited, et cetera. So the cost was very low. The cost was very low. And we always had a grassroots approach, you know, trying to figure out ways that we could reach more people without putting a lot of money into advertising because we just didn't have a lot of money to drop into advertising at the time. We both had regular jobs. So she had the job at the, the nonprofit and then I was still working as a session trainer. So as we began to, to build the, the, the company, Animal Flow, and at the time we were working, we also had a company called Global Bodyweight Training. You know, it was just figure it out, play business. Like we always say that we were playing business. We were just kind of stumbling along this path of, you know, let's, let's just figure it out as we go and work with people that we like. That was our number one rule. Don't work with shitty people. And we just started to see it snowball. And then at, at one point, so I used to work for a company called Equinox Gyms. Oh, and sure. So, so Equinox, I give them a lot of credit for my education as a trainer. And they, they really push that, you know, they really put a lot of resources into educating their trainers and, and making sure that they go through different certifications. And so this is many years later after I left Equinox and I went back to them with Animal Flow and we ended up working with them exclusively for a year. Oh, and wow. So they gave me the opportunity to go around to all the Equinox gyms and teach the program. And so essentially what they gave me the opportunity to do is to learn my own program and learn how Love to become it. a better teacher. Love it. Yeah. So I spent a year doing a couple workshops a week for almost an entire year and just working with trainers and figuring out how to you know, become more effective with the way that I coached and I communicated to them and then figure out how to help them take these tools and apply them right away with their clientele. At what point did you find yourself walking around the house or when no one had shown up yet for the workshop? I don't mean because no one was there because it was either before or after an actual workshop session that you, did you find yourself going, huh, check this out. This is an actual thing. Man, I still do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, when was the first, I mean, same thing, but when, when was, when was the first time where you just really took a moment and went, holy crap. You know when it was? I had seen someone post a video of them performing of themselves performing animal flow in Australia. And they were like on a beach in Australia in Sydney in Bondi where I was at in my young twenties. But, but anyways, it was just to see someone do this thing that you put together and see them do it on the other side of the world. Yeah. And just think about all those connections or like what had to happen for that person to get the video. And then once they got it, they actually took time to learn this methodology and then apply it and then video it. And then I was like, wow, this, yeah, 
this is a real thing. There's, we can affect people. I had uh, something, I mean, I've had a number of these, but I had one just recently and it was a COVID related thing. I, I went into Whole Foods very quickly just to pick up some bread and go. And I was wearing a zero shoes t-shirt and there's a couple standing at the same counter. I was six feet away. And the woman <laughs> turns to me and says, oh, do you work for zero shoes? And I didn't give the most accurate answer I could have. I just said, in fact, I do. She goes, oh my God, they're my favorite shoes. And she goes on and on and on about how much she loves her zero shoes. And she had no idea who I was. And I love it because <laughs> awesome. my face has become so identified with the, with the brand. I mean, Lane and I put ourselves out there and, and I, like you, we started this, I was just making videos and putting them on YouTube about how to make barefoot sandals and how to run, et cetera. So when it's someone who's come to it, who has no relationship at all to me, it makes me extremely happy. Man, same here. You know, and, and sometimes if same thing, if I'm wearing like a shirt and someone's like, oh, I, I like animal floor, I've done animal floor, I've heard yeah. of it. I will quite often not tell them that I created it or whatever. Yeah. I'll just like, that's great. You know, have you tried the class yet? Or my, my fantasy, my fantasy is to be at a dinner party sometime in the future and have someone come up to me and tell me how he helped start zero shoes. And it was someone who, you know, had nothing to do with it. That's my fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and then just let them play with it. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah. go with, Oh cool. Tell me more about that. Yeah. How'd you do uh -huh. that? Where'd you get the original idea? God, that's so neat. Weren't there some other people involved in, in the early days? I don't remember their names. Yeah, that would be really cool. <laughs> nope, just you, huh? Amazing. <laughs> well, I've met so many people who claim to be the first investors in Crocs. And, uh, and I know who the first investors in Crocs were. And it was not these people. And so I, it's basically, I want to have that happen at some point. I think that'd be a lot of fun. It'd be great. It would. All right, well, wrapping things up, if people want to experience yeah. this, and I imagine they will and recommend that they do, how would you recommend that they take that first animalish step into animal flow? I think the best way would be to go to www.animalflow.com. And from there, they can figure out what the experience is that they want. So from there, they can find out about our on-demand channel. So we do have an on-demand channel and corresponding app where you can you know, do the classes, do tutorials, do flows. We have all of our live workshops that are mostly for fitness professionals. However, we do allow people who want to come in and just learn more about animal flow. We're doing those now streaming, of course, because live workshops are not a thing awesome. at the moment. So we'll have our first one this weekend, which I'm looking forward to. And then we have, you know, there they can find our Instagram or they can find more ways or options that they can maybe work with one of our instructors remotely. Or So yeah, there's, I think animalflow.com would be the best way. Not surprising in this dot-com world we live in. Cool. Well, Mike, this has been, um, not surprisingly, a total pleasure because it is every time we chat. And so I do hope people find out more and let me know what happens. And of course, uh, I still have some zero shoes sitting for you in boxes right back there that when we can get within six feet of each other, you're going to be getting your hands on or, and your feet. I in. can't wait to get them, man. Yeah, we'll make that happen. And in the interim, once again, thank you. And let me just do a quick sign off for everyone else. Thank you for being here. Again, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com for previous episodes to find out all the different ways that you can engage with this content, find our Facebook page and our Instagram and et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, we're creating a movement movement. You are the people who make the movement move. So if you want to be part of the tribe, please do subscribe. If you have any questions, drop me an email, move at jointhemovementmovement.com or any recommendations, anyone you think should be on the show, whatever it is that you want to do, just drop me a line. I'm happy to respond. And I'm usually pretty fast at doing that as well. That's all I can think of. So until next time, have fun, be well, live life, feet first. 
You've been listening to the Movement Movement Podcast with host Stephen Sashen. Remember to join the tribe and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.